Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. It's like if, if my partner gives me a certain look, I'm like, oh my God, it must mean that you don't find me attractive, right? Like, like I mean, literally it's screwed up, Srini, what our mind will tell us is, 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 is right or wrong, all based on our expectations. And I, I can say that that's just my addiction to certainty, right? Like I need that certainty. I need to know things are going to be okay. And this need to know is probably what brought me to jail. And, you know, I, I, I know when I originally reached out to you, I said, we're going to talk about this, but... I was going to say that, you know, going to jail um, and and if you want to go deeper into that, we can. But yeah. going to jail really kind of sets you free in terms of what you, you know, what you think you can control. And I think, you know, and, you know, this was just a few months ago that this happened. But it's I, I would say up until that point, I pretty much needed to control everything. And then when I went to jail and lost all freedom and all control, even though it was only for 18 hours, you know, it was like. Oh my God, I am, I am kidding myself if I really think I have control over anything. And sometimes it just takes that one thing to happen, you know, and sometimes it takes, you know, many things to build up for you to be like, screw this. I don't want to live like this anymore. But I would say to your listeners is just start paying attention to all the areas in your life that have control over you. And that can be in your relationship. That can be your relationship to food, to money, your friendships your work. Where is this compulsion? What is this need that you have? What is this? What is it that you're really trying to get? And are you willing to let go just just for a moment, just to see how things turn out? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Vasavi, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much for having me, Shrini. Yeah, it is great to have you here. So I have known you for quite some time. And, uh, you know, you wrote in a, a couple of weeks ago to tell me uh, a bit about your story and some of the fascinating things that have happened, which we will uh, get into. But before we get there, I want to start by asking, what did your parents do for a living? And what impact has that ended up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Oh, that's a great question. So my parents came to the U.S. from India. We are from South India. My dad's a CPA. He has his own practice. My mother's a cardiologist. She, too, has her own practice. So I grew up watching very, very hardworking parents who were extremely generous, you know, very, you know, a lot of ethics, a lot of values. And, you know, but I didn't have them around a lot. I didn't. I mean, I had a lot of babysitters and um, I pretty much learned how to take care of myself. Um, but the impact that it had on Mishrini is that, you know, for, for me, status and money and having that um, recognition was really, really important to me. Really important. Like, you know, I, I went to an Ivy League school. You know, I got into NYU versus Columbia and my dad was like, no, you're going to Columbia because it's an, an Ivy League. You know, so the impact that it's had on me and the choices that I made is that 
A lot of the choices that I've made have been very externally driven. It's all been about looking good, making sure that I come off in the right way to people, people that I don't even know, right? Like here I am, my actions are being dictated by people that I don't even know, all for the sake of looking good, looking good. I mean, in our family, the mantra was, the mantra was, but what will people think? It was always about what will people think all the time. So, you know, now at 35, I'm like, you know what? I don't give a shit what other people think. I really don't. But yeah, does it creep up? Absolutely. But you know, I think because they came from kind of lesser circumstances where they didn't have as much growing up and they came here and they made it in a way, it was, it was all about keeping up with the Joneses, but still maintaining this sense of like independence. I can't explain it. It was very contradictory growing up. It was, it was like, you know, you have to have your own values. You have to have your own morals, but oh, wait a minute. What will other people think? Uh-huh. You know? So, so it was like, oh, act the right way, but make sure the right, you know, make sure the way you're acting is according to what will be approved of by other people. So it, yeah, go ahead. So where did that lead you career wise uh, at the beginning, like post Columbia? Oh, so post Columbia. Well, actually, I, I think it's interesting to say that all the, all the choices that I made education wise. So I had my, um, I, I got my master's in special ed. I got my master's in social work. I went to India and I lived there for a year working with survivors of sex trafficking. I grew up with this, with this martyr syndrome, with this need to always help others, which I, I'm not going to ever say is a bad thing. I'm, I'm happy that I care about other people, but I took it to another level. You know, like I, I grew up with this feeling of it's my responsibility to take care of other people all the time. Um, because, you know, I, I saw my mom and dad working really hard and also bringing all their family members over. And so the choices that I made, I think were really based on what I thought I should be doing to be a better human being, which like I said, I don't regret, but post Columbia, um, I went into a coach's training program and I learned a lot about myself. I also started my own business and I remember my first few clients were like just people who like, you know, I mean, I had to work hard with them. You know, it was like, you know, you know, a lot of self-esteem issues, a lot of confidence issues, which is fine. I was able to help them. But I just remember I felt like as far as as far as career was concerned, that I had to it had to be hard and it had to be painful. And it was my job to be Mother Teresa. And it's my job to take on other people's problems. And now where I'm at is I don't really want to feel that stress anymore. I really don't. I don't, I don't think it's my responsibility as, as much as I used to think it was. Mm. Yeah. So this sort of, um, heavy, you know, cultural expectation that you grew up with, which we both share in common, uh, Mm. which is very much driven by what is external and, and what other people will think. How did you how did you let go of it? Because I know you've broken many of the conventional norms um, that happen, especially in a culture that is so driven by expectation. I would say the first way that I really broke it was when I got divorced. I mean, that was the ultimate. I mean, you know, I got married to a nice Gujarati boy, you know, from India, not not from India. You know, his parents are, are Indian, but, you know, vegetarian, Hindu praise, you know, everything. Basically, he was like a replica of my father, you know, and so I I married the quote unquote right guy. I, I love him dearly. We're still very good friends. But, you know, even getting married was an act of look at me. I'm doing the right thing. But I knew going into it that I, I shouldn't have gotten married. And I knew that. And that's the worst part. And then, you know, we didn't really make it to our three year wedding anniversary. And I and, you know, I had told my parents, I, I don't want to be married anymore. It's not fair to him. It's not fair to me. And of course, it did not approve. But me walking away from that marriage setting him free, setting myself free, because he has that little bit of that white knight syndrome, you know, wanting to save as well, um, you know, s- s- save the, the 
save the damsel in distress. And um, that was me. And I set him free by saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to you know, walk away because this is just not working. And that I think set the tone with my family, especially like, wow, Vasavi's not someone to just do something just because everyone else wants her to do it. So that was really the first way that I broke through that. How, uh, how did that go down with your parents? Can you kind of walk me through the details of it? Like what, what was that experience like in dealing with your parents? Yeah, it was, um, I didn't tell anyone. So, so, so the summer leading up to it, I got divorced September 11th, actually, the four years ago, I, I had just come back from India. I was living on top of a mountain, of course, very eat, pray, love of me, I know. And um, I came back, I literally landed back in New York, came back to Austin, went to the courthouse, filed the paperwork, called up my parents. And I said, listen, I've, I filed the paperwork. It's done. It's done. And they're like, okay, okay. You know, and like, that was that. And then my parents came to visit me in October and my mom said, we're financially cutting you off, you know? And, um, I said, thank you. I said, you know what? That way I can like, honestly, just live according to how I want to live. Not because I'm going to get some money from you down the road. Like I don't care, you know? And so she cut me off and, and it was fine. I, we have, I'm very, very close to my parents, but I think that whole holding that money over the head thing, you know, it was like, you're not doing what we want you to do. Therefore, we're going to cut you off. Just kind of really cleared the air for me and just cleared the space for me to just do whatever I wanted um, and not be so concerned about what they're going to think of me. But I have to say my parents are, they are extremely traditional, very conservative, but there's this part of them, I think because of how they were raised to like, they get it, but it's hard for them to admit that they get it, you know, because then that would be going against all their constructs that they've lived according to. Um, so it wasn't easy for them. It wasn't at all. Um, and I remember my dad saying to me, he was like, you know, I don't really expect you to be married again or be in another relationship. He's like, you're just going to be alone now, right? I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to be alone. I'm going to take my time and do whatever. And then eventually if I meet someone, I will. But, you know, that's just kind of their mentality. It's like, oh, you had your chance at marriage and that's it. And I don't I don't think according to that mm-hmm. way of thinking, you know, so it wasn't easy for them. But um, I think they see now that I am better off. And, um, it is hard for me, you know, when you're, when your entire life is based on getting the approval of your parents and other people, um, going against the grain is not easy. It is, it is scary because I would say I pretty much probably wake up four times a week, just like, Oh my God, am I going to die alone? Oh my, you know what I mean? Cause I don't have kids. I'm not married, you know, and, and, and I know my parents have kept their distance with me. And so there is that fear of, should I just do what they want me to do? So I don't have to be alone, you know, but I have to say, um, as each day goes by, that fear becomes less and less uh-huh. about being alone. And I've started to really embrace that, you know, just being alone and being with myself is better than being surrounded by people who like me just because I'm acting according to their standards. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, <clears throat> what is the relationship with your parents like now after, uh, all this time, uh, has it changed? And, you know, if, Somebody else is in a situation where they feel that their behavior is basically driven by uh, the desire for other people's approval. What would you tell them? Oh, God, that's good. Um, I would say that you first have to recognize that your desire is uh, uh, sorry, that your all your decisions are you know, driven by the desire to be liked by other people. First thing is acknowledgement. Second thing is your boundaries. I, I can't even tell you, especially if you're used to someone who has been checking in with people all the time, providing explanations, lengthy explanations about your decisions, about your behaviors. Like you need to just have better boundaries. Um, I go to therapy once a week, so I don't know 
if, you know, if you're open to going to therapy or just going to someone who has an outside perspective, who's not attached to the situation, that definitely helps. Um, but, but like when I say boundaries, for example, my mom will text me and, and, and if I don't write back right away, I used to feel really guilty. And now it's like, you know what? It can wait. It can wait. I'm doing something right now, you know? And it's just like noticing that compulsion, that need to explain, that need to respond. Um, it does take a little bit of detachment and it, you might come off feeling like you're being cold or whatever. But I have to say, when you have better boundaries and you are, you know, just not compelled to have to explain yourself. It's going to be hard at first, but then you'll start to respect yourself more, right? Because otherwise you're going to feel like a chump. And I know, I know that I feel like, Oh my God, I'm so controlled by other people. And I just lost respect for myself. And now it's like, no, like no one can pull my chain. No one is going to have that much control over me. And I, you know, so, so I start to have more respect for myself when I'm more respect for myself. I can then respect other people and also respect them for who they are and not expect them to change. You know, how many times have we said, God, I wish my parents were different or this or that. And it's like, you know, I actually look at my parents now and I have long conversations with my mom on the phone, like two hours, you know, two, three hours on the phone. And I've stopped looking at her as a mother and I've stopped looking at my father as a father. And I, and I just started looking at them as human beings. Like, are these people I would be friends with? You know what I mean? Are, are these people I'd actually want to be friends with? And I have to say, I look at my mother and I'm like, God, this woman has gone through so much in life, you know, and there's such a level of respect for her that I don't think I really had before because I was so busy needing her to fill my void, you know? So now that I just see her for who she is and even my dad, you know, he's like, prayerful, religious, quite righteous, you know, always, always buy the book. And I'd always think he's just this cold son of a gun, you know, and I look at him now and I just look at everything he's gone through in his life. And I'm like, you know, if I were him, I would be exactly who he is right now. I wouldn't change a thing. Like I, I don't, I'm not surprised that he is the way he is. So there's a level of empathy that's there. When you start to have better boundaries, when you stop needing your parents to fill your gaping void and you start taking care of, you know, giving yourself what you need, you can actually have a better relationship with them. Um, is it perfect what I have with them? Absolutely not. Um, do I tell them everything? Absolutely not. It's none of their business. You know, but there at least I don't feel guilty now. Like if I filter and if I, you know, because I don't like to lie, I don't want to lie, but I don't think filtering is lying. I think filtering is having boundaries. So if I don't tell them something, it's I don't feel guilty anymore. I'm like, oh, my God, they need to know everything. It's like I'm doing this for my well-being and for their well-being, because sometimes they just can't handle it. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just a matter of like need to know basis. Everything's on a need to know basis. And that way, you know, with their limited time here on this earth and my limited time, we can we can just, you know, we can just talk about whatever. We can just talk about whatever and just enjoy each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's interesting. You brought up this notion of, of you know, uh, having this gaping void that you're hoping your parents' approval will, will fill. I, I think for some of us, we hope that a relationship will fulfill it. I mean, we, we I think in, you know, to some degree, like until we kind of transcend it, we all have this feeling that um, – there is some void in our life and something will fill that void, even though we need to fill that void. And I'm curious, how do you do that yourself? How do I fill that gaping void? Um, well, I can first say that it's uh, being okay with the void and I actually don't want to fill it. 
that's the thing that that that's what I've realized is that I don't want to fill the void that void that that so to say that emptiness that 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 dark space that aloneness that we sometimes feel um I remember the other day I was watching a movie wait what movie was I watching oh I was watching You've Got Mail with Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks you know makes me want to cry every time I was laying in bed watching it and I I felt like I couldn't breathe I really felt like I couldn't breathe not because it's such a romantic comedy but there was just this overwhelming feeling of oh my god there's I felt like something was missing inside of me. I felt like it and I just couldn't breathe. But then I kept breathing and I kept breathing and I realized maybe that void is not meant to be filled, right? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe the problem is, is that we keep reaching because our level of um, discomfort is so low. Our, our threshold for pain is so low that anytime we feel that oh, something is missing, we need to immediately fill it. How, I have, how have I filled it in the past? With sex, with drugs, with alcohol, with TV, with movies, with success, with food. I have filled it with everything and it's still there. And so where I'm at now is I don't try to fill it. I have to literally be with it um, because I know better. I know that nothing is ever going to fill it. And I feel like having been like starting to be okay with that aloneness or with that emptiness or that space or that void or whatever you want to call it. There's something there if you just go deeper and deeper into it. And I don't know what that answer is. I don't. And, and, and I'm actually okay with that because I think that's what makes me stronger. That's what's going to make me more solid. That's what make me more confident. And that will just make me more still whole and whole as a human being. So interesting. Yeah, it's funny because I've been reading a lot of, of books from various spiritual teachers. And, and it's interesting because I'm getting the sense, at least from looking at the circumstance of my own life, it, when you try to fill the void, you're chasing something. And for some reason, anytime you're chasing something, you tend to repel the very thing you're chasing. Yes. Yes, that, that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to say is that I think everyone's always like, you know, do this, do that. And I'm actually like, I don't want to do anything. That's been my problem is that I do too much and I feel less. Right. And so, yeah, feeling the gaping void is excruciatingly painful. But I'm curious to know with myself, which is what I've been experimenting with. Once I get past that excruciating pain, what is there? There has to be something there, you know, and, and honestly, I'm not going to put myself on this pedestal and be like, I know the answer. I don't, you know, but I will encourage people to keep going just a little bit more, just a little bit more to say, you know what, I'm brave enough and I will make it through it and I will be able to handle whatever is in that void, you know, and not need to run away from it or have to fill it up Um I think that our decisions, I think the decisions that we make will be a lot better when we, you know, stop trying to fill it up so much, you know, and, and instead just trust that whatever's there or not there is okay. Mm. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question, um, and this actually you know, brings up a memory that I, I saw you post a picture of a book. I, I believe it was a story about money uh, by Barry Tesler uh, on yeah. Instagram. And I'm curious, um, you know, having gone through sort of the ups and downs you have, having been financially cut off from your parents, but also having you know, grown up in, in what sounds like a fairly privileged environment, yep. um, what, what is your story around money? How has it evolved? Um, how has it changed? How do you think about it? And how, does that, how has that impacted what you're doing career-wise? That's a great question. So I, I think, um, you know, growing up, you know, going to India every year, seeing a lot of poverty. Um, I remember my first experience of just kind of really witnessing true suffering in my mind when I was four years old. And I saw this um, man in India eat a he actually went into like a dumpster and he took a banana peel out of the dumpster. And I just remember thinking to myself, it's my job to stop suffering. I just I just remember that at a young age. So with that being said, 
growing up, uh, growing up in a very privileged household. Um, you know, I, I never had to worry about money a day in my life. My mom gave me the messaging of money is that you have to hold on to it. You have to hold on to it. You have to hold on to it. And my dad had the, had the mentality of, well, you're not going to take it with you when you die. So screw it. Just spend it now. Right. So I grew up with polar opposite, like just completely mixed messaging of money. Um, and, and so it's evolved because I think in one way I felt very guilty growing up that I had money and, or, or I had parents who had money and I knew that there were so many people around me who did it. Um, I remember when I first started my business, I would undercharge, I would change my rates. I would like lower my rates. You know, if, if someone couldn't, um, have the money to pay for me, I would say, it's okay, I'll give you a discount. And now the way it is, because, because you know, I felt guilty. I felt like, oh my God, I'm in a position of power to help, or here I am to help you, and oh, poor thing, you can't afford me, so it's my job to lower my rates for you. I, I used to think that way, and now where I'm at, is it's, you know, I just look at money as very black and white. There's absolutely no emotion around it. I have no, I've, I've gone from completely being emotional about money, you know, and I think a lot of that came from right after I got divorced, Srini, I, I got into the habit of looking at my Chase bank account balance every day in the morning. Every day in the morning, first thing I would do was look at my bank balance. The first thing in the morning, that was it. So I could train my brain to not be so emotional around money. Because when I first started out, when I was divorced, I had maybe 40 cents in my bank account. Right. And so I was working multiple jobs and I had just enough to pay the bills, just enough to pay the bills. Right. I, I was literally living paycheck to paycheck because I, I was driving for Uber and doing all this stuff. And, you know, I I um, I just didn't want money to have that much control over me. And I, I wanted to have the same relationship to it, like I, as I do with anything else. It's kind of logical, which is it's just a number. It's just, you know, money is just money. And so I trained myself to become more logical and very black and white around it by looking at my bank balance every day and not freaking out if, if it wasn't a certain number, you know, like in my mind or in our minds, we have certain ideas of how things should be. And when they're not, we start to freak out. We start to put that stress on other people. We start to just you know, get all imbalanced and out of whack. And I said, no, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to let money have that much control. And I learned that from my father, by the way, he, he always taught me to be that way. Um, I just didn't know how to be that way until later on. But now when I look at money, I go, you know what? It's, it's, you know, people say money's a tool, money's a this, money is a that. And uh, I'm at the point where I'm like, money's just money. It's just money. It's not a tool. It's not this. It's that. You can call it that if you want. Whatever makes you go to sleep at night. Money is just money. It's just a number. That's it. $15,000 is $15,000. That's it. How you choose to look at it is completely up to you. So I have no story around it anymore. Um, and I think that's because of just that trajectory that I've had is growing up with money, not having any money, witnessing suffering, and then just actively changing my, um, uh, my relationship to it. Mm. And and that's it. And and then you know. And the other thing I think also being raised in a Hindu household and this with karma and all this. And you know, kind of just you know, what goes around comes around. And you know, um, anytime I see a homeless person at a red light, I will always give food. I never do less than twenty percent tip. You know, in my mind, it's like no matter how little I may think I have, right? Think I have that I'm never going to um, act poor. I'm, I, I, I don't want to have that poor mindset that, you know, that poverty stricken mindset. It's like, I always have enough. I always have more than enough. And, um, you know, I, I would say both my parents trained me to be that way. But like I said, it's taken me a while to actually really, truly believe that. You know, I think the, the most fascinating thing to me, uh, was this notion of, of how we expect something to look or how something should look. And it's interesting because as you were saying all of that, I was thinking this is about more than just money. This could be applied to nearly every area of your life. Uh, 
So how do you get to the point where you don't have emotions attached to how everything should look? Because I can tell you, I, I bring expectations to a lot of things. And I realize that has often been a recipe for profound disappointment. Oh, I mean, I do it with everything. I do it with relationships. It's like if if my partner gives me a certain look, I'm like, oh my god, it must mean that you don't find me attractive, right? Like, I, like I mean, literally, it's screwed up, Srini. What our mind will tell us is 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 right or wrong, all based on our expectations. And I, I can say that that's just my addiction to certainty, right? Like, I need that certainty. I need to know things are going to be okay. And this need to know is probably what brought me to jail. And you know, I I, I know when I originally reached out to you, I said we're going to talk about this, but I was going to say that, you know, going to jail um, and and if you want to go deeper into that, we can. But yeah. going to jail really kind of sets you free in terms of what you, you know, what you think you can control. And I think, you know, and, you know, this was just a few months ago that this happened. But it's I, I would say up until that point, I pretty much needed to control everything. And then when I went to jail and lost all freedom and all control, even though it was only for 18 hours, you know, it was like. Oh my God, I am, I am kidding myself if I really think I have control over anything. And sometimes it just takes that one thing to happen, you know, and sometimes it takes, you know, many things to build up for you to be like, screw this. I don't want to live like this anymore. But I would say to your listeners is just start paying attention to all the areas in your life that have control over you. And that can be in your relationship. That can be your relationship to food, to money, your friendships your work. Where is this compulsion? What is this need that you have? What is this? What is it that you're really trying to get? And are you willing to let go just just for a moment just to see how things turn out? Mm, wow. OK, so yeah. I want to spend time uh, the rest of our time talking about jail. How in the world did you end up in jail? All right. So um, let's see. I so I should first give you some context and let you know that right after I got divorced. OK, I was in a intensive outpatient for some emotional stuff, you know, because it was hard going through divorce. And I met this I, I met this guy in uh, intensive outpatient here in Austin. And, you know, it, you know what I mean by that is it, it was like a group therapy. It wasn't like we weren't in like a mental hospital or anything. You know, it was intensive outpatient group therapy. And uh, we just latched on to each other. Right. He had just you know gone through his own thing. I was getting out out of uh, my divorce. And it's funny when when two people are going through something and there's this kind of void that we talk about how you can latch on to one another. And so for me, here I was divorced, terrified of being alone. Here he was, he was going through his own thing, just wanting to feel like he had a purpose in life. And so we latched on to each other. So he was my rebound. He was my rebound. And we ended up living together. I mean, I, it, it's so, it's so not Indian of me to do this, Srini, you know, to just go shack up with somebody like that, that, that's such a not Indian thing to do. And I just remember, you know, he was being you know kicked out of his parents' house and I, w- I was being moved in to my own apartment. And I was like, sure, let's just like, you know, why don't we just live together? So we did. And that was very hard for my parents, but it was a very volatile relationship, very volatile. And, um, it's because I think when, when two people are not healthy, and they are they haven't really done the work or they are not really feeling good about themselves based on circumstances you will bring the worst out in each other now mind you we've had the best four years i'm still actually with him yeah so it just kind of felt like i i I think because i think because um we weren't very healthy and we you know 
just kind of latched onto one another, but we had a great time, right? Like he played the role of my ex-husband for me. And I played the role of someone who was going to take care of him. And so that's what happened. And, you know, with that came a lot of resentment and anger. And so on March 12th, I had just come back from Costa Rica and um, I was in Costa Rica with my parents. And then, you know, just just know that there was a lot of built up resentment and there was a lot of anger and there was a lot of you should be like this and, and this is not fair and just all those all those pent up relationship issues and just everything unhealed issues. Um, I ended up assaulting him with a broomstick. That's that's, you know, and even even as I say it, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even believe I did that. But I can. That's the thing. I can believe that I did that. Right. Like as a, as a child, I was hit all the time. All the time, I was hit all the time. It was just so normal. It's, it's very normal in the Indian culture to, to hit your kids. And so, you know, you know, growing up in a place where your body is not really valued and, and, and it's okay to be hit and it's okay, you know, I think all that anger just kind of caught up to me, Srini, and um, I, ended up, I ended up hitting it with the broomstick a bunch of times and called the police and uh, they arrested me. They arrested me on March 12th and it was like 11 o'clock at night or something like 10.30 at night and I just remember... Um, everything just quieting down in that moment. Like it was almost like a sense of freedom. I kid you not. I've, I've said, I've shared this with my parents. It was like the day that I got arrested in that moment, I finally felt like I could just let go. And it is like, it's almost like, okay, boss, you can, you can just put aside the, put aside the weapons. You know, you can just put aside your anger. Like it's okay. You're done. Like it, it was really a moment of surrender. Almost there's this movie by um, uh, there's this movie with Denzel Washington called Flight or whatever where he's a he's a pilot, and he said he had never melt he had never felt more free than when he did when he was in jail, right? And and honestly, that's how I felt. I felt I had been so consumed by my anger, so consumed by just 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 pent up resentment and insecurities and just feeling let down. And in that moment, I just let it out on him on, on another human being, which wasn't right at all. But I got caught. I got caught and there were consequences to pay and I had never felt more free in my life. It was like, oh wow, I'm like, this isn't right. What, what's wrong with me? You know? So I don't, I don't regret what happened at all, but you know, this just goes to say if, if you don't address those issues, it will catch up to you in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and the funny thing, Srini, I remember they, they had me in a holding cell and I was here, like around all these people who had gotten arrested for, you know, DWI, DUI and all these guys, you know, who, you know, maybe domestic violence charges, whatever. I remember sitting in the cell like, oh, my God, I don't I don't belong here. I'm Vasavi Kumar. Have you been to my website? Like, you know, I'm Vasavi Kumar. I, I, I'm an Ivy League graduate. Like, I'm literally sitting here thinking this in my head. And then I look around at everybody and I'm like, shit, I got myself here. I'm no different. I am no different. I, I screwed up and I got caught and I am no different. And it just, it just humbled me real quick. It humbled me real quick. And it just, it, it, it really whittled away at my self-esteem. I'm not going to lie, but in a way, I think the, the being humbled by the fact that, yeah, I think I could get away with anything or, uh, oh, oh, you don't have issues to address. Like, right. Like that, like I was telling that to myself, it just made me, it just almost made me feel like I could breathe again. You know, like, oh, you mean I'm not perfect? Oh, wow, what a relief. You know, here I was this whole time trying to be perfect, and I'm not. And here I am, who are, here I am putting all this pressure on myself to be perfect, and I'm not, clearly. I'm in, I'm in jail right now, you know? And so it was the ultimate wake-up call for me. Like, wow, you can stop trying to be so perfect, Vas, because this is what happens when you are trying to be perfect your entire life, and you will immediately, you know, you will at some point blow up. You will. And... It can look different for everybody, right? And for me, it 
it blew up in my face because I was literally just sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. I was sick and tired of always trying to be the good one, the right one, the helpful one, the quote unquote nice one, the good daughter, the good wife, the good girlfriend, the good humanitarian. I was sick of it. I was sick of it because all that is just, ro- all, all that is treating is just roles. I'm just playing a role at that point, you know? And all that just kind of rushing through my veins. And at that point, just, it just end, ending up beating like another human being. How is that okay? You know, and even as I say it, I'm like, God, I mean, it, it, it does hit home. And then it just, it just was my permission slip to stop being perfect because clearly I'm not. And now where I'm at is, um, yeah, I got issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I got issues. I'm in an 18 week anger management course with, with a bunch of other ladies talking about their issues. I'm, I'm not perfect and I don't want to be perfect. And I don't even know what that means. And I don't care. That's where I'm at is just screw it. Not screw it as in being resigned, but screw trying to be perfect all the time. I don't even know what that means. Uh, I don't. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, several questions come. One, yeah. uh, I'm curious, were you scared that the consequences could be more severe than they turned out to be? Um, two, who was the first person that you actually called when you were in jail and what was their response? Okay, that's a great question. Um, was I scared? I first of all, I didn't know the process. Obviously, this is my first time being in jail. I did know that, um, like, I, I didn't even know. So I just, I just want your listeners to know, though, my case has been officially dismissed. I, you know, I, I paid a lawyer five thousand bucks. He, he didn't get it off my record. It's not expunged, but the case was dismissed. So this happened in March. As of uh, what was it, three four weeks ago, it was it was completely dismissed, and now I have to do the anger management classes. Um, as far as the first person that I called was my boyfriend he because because as i as soon as i got arrested the first thing i said to him was take care of laney who's my dog so because because my dog's at home and she's the only you know she's she's like my child so i did call him just to make sure everything was okay i apologized i mean what else can i do and he said i'll pick you up tomorrow and he actually picked me up when i got out i will say the second person that i called was my father um which which just kind of shows your listeners a little bit even though you know they they are conservative and traditional and this and that i, I still had the I still knew I could call them. I always knew that I could call them. Like, and, and, and without any questions, without any questions, my dad was like, what do you need? I go, listen, I need to, I need to post bail. It's $3,000. I, I had my, I had my debit card number memorized and I kept trying to tell the bondsman, you know, but the thing is my, but the thing is my bank account thought it was fraud. So he had to pay off like half of it. I had to pay half. Anyway, I called my dad and he was there for me and uh, also talked to my mother and, uh, you know, within 18 hours I was gone, I, I was out of there and it was, it was awful training. I mean, it, first of all, it was freezing. It was freezing and I had to wear, you know, I had to wear what I was wearing and they gave me some slimy ham sandwich and I'm like, I'm vegetarian. I'm not going to eat this shit, you know, but I just, I did not eat for 18 hours. I was cold. I, I just knew that every, I just knew that everything was going to be okay. I, I didn't, I, I didn't even know what I didn't know. You know, I, I, I didn't know that I could call a bondsman. You know, I never called a bondsman in my life, you know, and I just figured it out. I got out of there and, um, you know, it was, it was really just, okay, I got to clean up my life. I got to clean up my life. You know, I mean, this is, this is ridiculous what, what's going on. So, you know, I mean, it sounds to me from, from the gist of our conversation that we're masterful at creating prisons uh, in our own minds. And almost all of it is the result of our addiction to our need for certainty. And I'm curious, uh, on a day-to-day basis, are there practices that you have in your life that help you to break free from this need for certainty? This is great that you just asked that. Someone just asked me that for like a for, for a for a newspaper 
article that they're writing. And I said, you know, my number one self-soothing, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say that it's a, I'm going to say that it's a self-soothing technique because it's, um, breaking free of certainty. First, you have to understand why you need, why you need that certainty, right? So little, I mean, and so for your listeners, just start thinking about your own childhood. I grew up in a house that was very chaotic, right? My parents were, you know, they fought all the time, like literally it would be peaceful. And then it would be like, boom, like mom would walk out of the house, yelling, screaming, crying. I mean, volatile as, you know, emotionally volatile. And so, um, for me, as an adult, needing that certainty is because I don't ever want to deal with that chaos again. I, I need things to be a certain way because I, I think at some point told myself I will not handle and I cannot handle that chaos anymore. All of which is a lie. I, I can handle a lot, actually. My threshold for being able to thrive in chaos is is incomparable compared to most people. I, I In fact, I thrive in chaos more than I thrive in peace. If that makes sense, if, if, I mean, that's sick, it's sick, but it's true. And so the way that I have learned to deal with my own need for certainty is that I, I talk out loud and I know it may seem simple and it's not meditation and green juice and malas and all that, um, which, which I, I, I grew up with the mantras and the puja and, you know, and the worship and all that, but that, that has not worked for me. What works for me is talking out loud um, because the voices in my head are so loud. My, my ego is so loud in my head um, that it can and, and, and it often has taken control, which is why I landed myself in jail. And so what I like to do is actually say the thing that's b- like being rattled in my head. I say it out loud, like like literally as I'm talking, how I'm talking to you right now, I say it out loud, which is I need things to be this way. Oh, my God, it has to be like this. Oh my, you know what I mean? Like exactly what it sounds like in my head, I will say it out loud because when I say it out loud, then I can hear the ridiculousness of myself. And at that point I can then have a rebuttal and be like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, Vasavi. So it's literally this, this battle between your higher self and your ego, right? I have bipolar disorder, which I have, I have told people over and over again, I go, you know, bipolar disorder is not only a chemical imbalance, but it is also the constant battle between your higher self, your consciousness and your ego. That's it. That, that, that's all it is. It's the back and forth and the back and forth, but like on crack, right? Like, like a hundred times speed than, than the average person. So the way I deal with it on a, on a daily basis, Srini, is that I, I have to talk out loud. I have to talk out loud because otherwise my mind will be taken over by my ego, you know, in my head, just basically saying like, oh, this person needs to be this way. You need to be this way. How come the bed's not made this way? How come the dishes aren't put away in the sink? You know, every little thing that, that, that we need, whatever it is your need is to have things be perfect in your life. Like I need things to be perfect at all times. Having to literally be like, wait a minute, is this, is this normal? Like, is this like, do I absolutely need this? Like even questioning those thoughts. And so, so that's the second thing I would say is not only saying you're you know, saying those things out loud, but questioning yourself and just questioning that compulsion. Like, do I absolutely need to have it be this way? Like that, I mean, just let it go, you know, and just, I'm not saying let go of your need for excellence and all that, but do not let it have so much control over you. Um, and so questioning those thoughts as well. Mm. helps a lot yeah so i want to go back to uh, an earlier part of a conversation to to sort of wrap things up you know you mentioned that when you sat down in jail you said i don't belong here uh and then you you know came to this sort of profound realization that you know you're no better than anybody who's here uh i'm curious what misperceptions you think that the general public has of an experience like this or of people who are in these situations oh thanks for so much for asking that because then i i gotta be honest i uh 
I, I think I, I feel I could be wrong um, that I've lost a certain sense of credibility because of this, you know, and, you know, for the people who do know, maybe, you know, I, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they have lost respect. Maybe they do think I'm crazy, which I am all of the above. Right. I have no problem admitting I'm slightly crazy, if not, you know, majorly crazy. And um, kind of like Sigmund Freud, like Sigmund Freud crazy, you know, and I, I feel like the general public would be like, oh, my God, she needs help. Yes, I know. I know that. Oh, my God. She has anger issues. Yes, I know. Oh, my God. How come you didn't allow yourself to, you know, step back? Like, how could you do this? Yes, I'm aware of all of this. So the, so here's what happens when, you know, when we see something happening to somebody else. The immediate thing that we do is, oh, I would never do that. I would never be like that. How could she do that? How could he do that? Right. And so the first thing we do is want to kind of exonerate ourselves and be like, I would never be like that. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I think the general public does lack empathy hmm. and they, and they would look at a situation like this and be like, wait a minute, but you're smarter than that. I mean, but you're a licensed social worker. How could you end up in jail being a licensed social worker? What do you mean? How could I, you know, it's like, why don't you, so like, this is where people need to really step outside of themselves and have empathy for other people in any, I mean, I mean, please, you don't need to have any empathy for me, have it for yourself first, right? Because that's how empathy starts is that you need to have empathy for yourself. You need to have compassion for yourself before you can even dare to give it to somebody else and be like, wow, what would, what would land a person in jail? What would, you know, as opposed to just looking at the behavior and thinking the behavior defines the person, which it does not. The behavior is just a symptom of the issue. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't know what people think of me at this point, Srini. I don't care, to be honest, because I know who I am. And, and, and I think in any area of your life for your listeners, if, if there's something you're ashamed of or if there's something that you're afraid of people judging you, you know, the first step is to really own it yourself. And just be like, yeah, I did screw up or yeah, I do need help or yeah, whatever. And, you know, and the people who are meant to be in your life will be in your life and, and, and the people who aren't will not. And thank God for that. So I would say, uh, you know, I think having this online persona and this brand and all that, you know, none of it matters at the end of the day if you're not truly happy on the inside. You know what I mean? None of it matters. And um, I'm, I am happy to say that, you know, while while I wish that none of it would have happened, I, I'm going to say that that's a lie. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it happening. I, I'm not happy about it. I'm not sad about it. I'm not angry about it. But it happened. And so now what? Mm-hmm. And um, I think my level of empathy has gone up even more, not just for other people, but for myself as well. And um, that's how you have to deal with situations like this. That's, I, I mean, honestly, what's the other choice? What's the other solution, you know, option here? To sit and beat yourself up? No, you know? <laughs> Wow. Uh, well, I think that makes a very poetic end to our conversation. So I want to ask you one last question, which I know you've heard me ask. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think it's their, um, I, man, I, I don't want to use the word integrity, but I, I, I think it really is what makes you unmistakable is how you treat someone that can't do anything for you. For me personally, when, when I when I look at someone and I say they're unmistakable, it's, it's how they treat someone that cannot do anything for them. I mean, I don't get carried away by followers and fans and email subscribers and this. But, but what I do care about is how do you treat how do you treat the homeless person at the red light? How do you treat your server, you know, your waitress, whatever? How, how do you how do you how do you treat people that can't do anything? I, I, I think it really is your level of kindness towards other people. That's what it is for me. Well, uh, I think that makes a really beautiful way to wrap up our conversation. Where can people learn more about you and your work? 
they can go to vasavikumar.com. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.